that guy have to come and talk? Let's just keep singing, right? Oh man, I'm with you. I'm with you. Great job. Hey, I'm really excited today. I've got some special guests with me. Some of you guys know that uh, I'm Moonlight in the afternoons as the cross-country coach at uh, Central High School, and so a lot of my runners are, my weary runners are over there um, in the corner. Wave your hands, kids. There you go. Yeah, they're all the well-conditioned, nice-looking kids over there. Had their conference meet and uh, homecoming dance last night, so they didn't get much sleep. So I'm very uh, impressed they got up and, and got here today. So um, we're also blessed by the presence of the king of Central High School, Boston Small. Yes, he's in the house. That's right. Royalty. Uh, well, if you were around this past summer, or if you weren't, let me uh, catch you up to speed just a little bit on what we talked about. We took a look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and we talked about just kind of the unbelievable transformation that took place in his life. And we looked at um, his story as told through the book of Acts, and, and looked at like what were some of the key elements that took place that provided kind of a framework for change to be possible in his life. And I hope that what you took from that series was an understanding of this truth, is that transformation in the Christian life doesn't primarily happen as a result of us kind of realizing some of our flaws or shortcomings and then kind of determining in our own will to be better, to change, to do something different. Okay, so I hope that's not what you got from that series. But instead, the transformation comes primarily by beholding Jesus. Or as the writer of the book of Hebrews said, by fixing our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. That, that as we actually study Christ and surrender our will for his, that the power of his Holy Spirit living in us is what leads us to change. Paul put it beautifully in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He said this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so he says we contemplate, we, we, we look at, we think deeply about the Lord's glory, and by doing that, we are transformed into his image a little bit at a time ever increasing throughout our life or becoming more and more like his son. And it comes from the Lord who is the spirit working in us. That, that's how change happens. So that's what we've been doing a little bit this fall is fixing our eyes on Jesus and listening to how he describes his, his nature and his character through these seven I am statements that he makes in, in the gospel of John. And so, so far over the, the first three weeks, we've looked at Jesus, uh, he said, I am the bread of life. He said that uh, I am the light of the world. Last week, uh, we looked at where he said, I am the gate or the door. And this week, we're going to be taking a look at uh, Jesus' statement, I am the good shepherd. And if you've been to a funeral in your lifetime, you've probably seen or heard Psalm 23, Right? It was probably printed on your bulletin at the, at the ceremony, or the pastor might have said something or quoted that psalm um, during that ceremony, especially if this was a Christian person at the funeral you went to. It's probably the most famous passage now in our culture from the Bible, the one that people could probably say, oh yeah, I've heard that before. 
And I think my, my kids uh, in their early elementary years went to St. Joe Christian. I think they all had to memorize it like in first grade. I remember them coming home and learning the whole psalm and repeating it. Um, and, and you've all heard it. It goes something like this. says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That's kind of the beginning of it. And in an agrarian kind of herding uh, society and culture like Jesus was teaching into, that shepherding imagery would have been very familiar to them. And, and so as we talk about you know, Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, this is language that they were used to. And today as we continue on in John chapter 10, we're, we're kind of smack dab in the middle of this ongoing conversation that Jesus has been having with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of Israel, and they, they wielded a lot of influence in society. Okay, and Jesus is, is talking to them, and we're really kind of in the middle of, of this indictment that Jesus has against them. They're supposed to be caring for the people of Israel, the, the sheep, but they're not doing a very good job of it, and Jesus is calling them out on that. And throughout his ministry, Jesus made it abundantly clear that the Pharisees were doing a disservice to the people because they were loading them down with with these rules and this works-based mentality or approach to to a relationship with God. And it was focused on self-righteousness and and it was just weighing down the people with these excessive and, and, and unnecessary regulations about every minute area of their life and the whole time kind of neglecting their hearts. And it was a system that was all about looking good on the outside while really kind of largely ignoring the needs of of vulnerable and and needy people in their society. So in Matthew 23, 4, Jesus described the Pharisees like this. He said, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. In fact, the Pharisees went so far as to actually kind of distance themselves from the sick, the disabled, the marginalized people in society. Their their viewpoint was that those people were suffering those maladies because of some sin in their life. And so far be it from the Pharisees to contaminate themselves with these, you know, unclean people. So I'm just, we're just going to keep our distance and we're not going to interact with those folks at all. And so that's kind of the system and Jesus, if you, if you read the Gospels, he just blasts the Pharisees on several occasions for this kind of just arrogant, prideful, hypocritical spirit that they had. They were being extremely poor shepherds of God's people. And when the people, the crowd that might have been hearing this message and, and where Jesus is talking about good shepherds, bad shepherds, they, they would have gone back in their mind to the Old Testament And they would have been remembering something that the prophets said many hundred years before this. In Ezekiel 34, I want you to open your Bibles to that. Ezekiel chapter 34, it's page 784 in your pew Bibles. 784. So Ezekiel was a prophet, so he's a spokesperson for God to the people of Israel We'll start in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. 
Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. And this mistreatment by the religious leaders of that time and in Jesus' own time, man, that just tore Jesus' heart up because he cared so deeply for his children. And you can see it in, in the way that he spoke in, in his heart. Uh, flip over to Matthew chapter 9, page 883. Matthew 9, we're going to look at verses 35 and 36. Verse 35 says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So this is the background kind of for our discussion today. We have this this long history of, of religious leaders in Israel not caring for the sheep very well, being very self-motivated, self-interested. And then you take it right up to the time of Jesus as he's speaking today, and we're seeing the way the Pharisees are, are living and acting in his own time. And so this kind of is, is the, sets the backdrop for what Jesus is about to say. So if we flip to John chapter 10, page 977, that's where we'll be today. And we finished up last week in verse 10, and I just want to read that verse one more time. Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So that's the heart and the, and the promise of Christ for us. It's why we're willing to follow him. Because we know and trust that his motives and his intentions for our life are good. Even if our present circumstances are tough, we know that about his heart as, as a shepherd. So... Last week we focused on Jesus, and earlier in in chapter 10 was the I am the gate statement. And in a very literal way, the shepherd acted as a gate or a door for the sheep when they came into the pen at night. And so we took a look at this uh, slide last week um, that Justin showed us, and this was an actual sheepfold. And so the shepherd at night would bring his sheep into this kind of walled protective area through that little narrow passageway, and then the shepherd would lay down in that gap and sleep and keep watch during the night for predators and stuff that would come to attack the sheep. And so that's the, the, the imagery that we're, we're using here. And so if an intruder wanted a piece of the sheep, they were going to have to go through the shepherd first, okay? So keep that image in mind here, and that's, that's why Jesus says this next in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What a powerful image, right? This good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. And I think it's really important for us to grasp how God views each one of us. 
We are not people that he just puts up with and endures. You know, oh my gosh, that kid prayed to accept me at Young Life Camp, so now I guess I'm stuck with him the rest of his life, you know? Got to put up with all of his crap, all of his stupid things he does. That's not his heart towards us. <laughs> he willingly, gladly lays his life down for us, right, and cares for us and, and shepherds us. And Jesus is making this massive contrast here between the bad shepherds, the Pharisees, who, remember he just said, won't even lift a finger to help the people, and himself, the good shepherd, who he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And you can imagine the Pharisees probably were not real thrilled with that comparison, right? That probably really ruffled some feathers there. For us as followers of Christ, then, we have this need to hold a couple of things in tension, okay? The first thing is that we have to understand and, and kind of come to terms with how much we are loved, how far and how willing God was, was willing to go in order to, to bring us back into the, into the fold. He was willing to lay his life down. We have to understand on that, that on one hand. On the second hand, we need to understand this is that now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, you know, a couple thousand years ago, as Paul put it, he says that we are Christ's ambassadors. Those of us that call ourselves Christ's followers, we are his ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal to the world through us. And so we are actually his representatives now to the world. And so we have now this challenge to be like Christ, be Christ, be shepherds to others so that they know and can grasp the unbelievable love that God has for them. And so we have to keep those, those two things because only with the first thing, a, a complete understanding of his love for me, do I then feel motivated and compelled to go out then and to care for others as well. So we have to keep these two things in tension. And, and that's our calling as Christ followers. Later on in, in chapter 15 of John, Jesus said this. He said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love each other as I have loved you. Peter communicated a similar sentiment to Christ's followers in his first letter. He said this in 1 Peter 4, 8. He said, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And I want to ask you guys a question. I'm going to get some responses here, hopefully. This morning, um, without mentioning any names, some of them might be in the room this morning. How is God calling you to, to sacrificially love someone in your life right now? And I guess the follow up question would be kind of like, how are you handling that? <laughs> what tensions are, are at war in your heart as you try to sacrificially love someone that, that you might not really feel like doing? Anybody willing to share about that? Some of you might be thinking, I'm having a hard time loving you, Bob. <laughs> now, yes, John?
Yeah. He just said sometimes in our, in our life when we've got our own kind of hurt and pain going on, it's hard for us to remember that we, we need to enter into other people's uh, stuff and be there for them, uh, to get a focus off of ourselves at times, even when we're hurting, so that we can care for, for people around us. Good. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah. Um, our connection and our attachment is not strong, and so constantly being hit in the heart over and over and over again, but still providing as much love as I can and you as I can. Yeah. So it's hard to to give in when you know you like the other is weaker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she's talking about that sacrificial love when you're caring for someone who is receiving a lot <laughs> from you, but maybe not giving a lot back in their ability to do that at this point in their life. And so your, your heart feels like it's just taking a beating daily as you're pouring out, but not receiving a whole lot in return. So yeah, it's a great example. This morning I was reading um, in Matthew uh, during the Sermon on the Mount, and it was the, the little section that talks about, um, you know, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. But I say, you know, when someone strikes you on, on one cheek, turn the other side to them as well. And, um, you know, when somebody asks you to go a mile, go two for them. And, uh, man, you know, I've, I've wrestled with that a lot, uh, just what self-sacrificial love looks like. And I'll share a little bit more with you about that in a moment. Those are great answers, though, and it's, it's difficult. So well, let's, let's continue on in verse 12. Jesus says this. He says, the hired hand is not the shepherd, does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I love my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus is saying here, hey guys, I'm not a hired hand like these Pharisees. He says, my heart breaks for the lack of care and the abuse that you guys are suffering under their poor leadership. These are my sheep. And Jesus takes great responsibility in caring for his own, right? Because we're his property. And that's why Paul wrote, he said, you are not your own. You belong to him. And you were bought with a price. And that price was the precious blood of Christ. And so when someone sacrifices that much to, to take you in and, and for you to become their child, like their investment in, in you is, is huge. I mean, they are, they are not going to run away when, when things get difficult, like these Pharisees might, right? When that wolf comes to attack the sheep at night, I'm out, man, you know? I'm counting the cost, and I want to save my own neck first. You see, when the wolf comes, Satan... Jesus is saying, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight for you. And that's what he did on the cross. And that whole process leading up to the cross, he took our blows, he took our lashes, he took our insults, he took our nails to pay for our guilt and shame, and he took the weight of 
our sin on his shoulders instead of putting it on ours. And he said, in effect, to Satan, hey, not on my watch. If you're going to get to Bob, you're going to come through me. And let me give you some insight. I'm mighty to save. And I will fight to the death for him and for each one of you. And on the cross, Jesus fought for our eternal standing before God. He conquered sin and death through his death and resurrection. And that doesn't mean that while we're here on this earth that we won't still experience pain and suffering. He's not going to rescue us from every little thing that happens here. In fact, he promises us in this world there will be trouble because we're surrounded by imperfection, including ourselves at times, right? But we are caught up in a world of people who have said no to God and want to do their own thing, and sometimes we are caught in the crossfires of other people's sin, and we suffer because of that. Sometimes it's self-inflicted. We suffer our own pain. But in terms of your eternal standing before God, Jesus says, I've got you. Satan can't touch you. You've conquered death with me. And that's the good news of the gospel. And let's just end in, in John here with verse 16 today. He says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus is kind of talking about a future reality here. At this point, this message, you know, from the very beginning has been going out to God's chosen people. Now Jesus is speaking to the Jews, but he says there's, there's coming a time very soon where this message is going out to the rest of the world, the Gentiles, all of us. And those people are going to hear my voice, and the ones that do and repent and respond are going to be all a part of the same flock together. So Jesus, when he says this, he's talking about you and I here. And so here we are. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Cool sermon, Bob. But now what? Like, what do we do with that? What emotion does that news elicit in our hearts? I think first and foremost, we should be asking ourselves the question, Who am I following in life? Whose voice am I listening to? Who is my shepherd? Is it God? Is his voice the most important thing? Is my ear tuned to him more than any other thing in this world? Boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, kids, job, finances, sinful pleasures, whatever it might be. Who am I following? Whose voice? Am I responding to? Remember that this is a shepherd who laid his life down for you. It seems impossible that we could be indifferent to that person. Right? If somebody, you know, if we walked out of the church today and tried to cross jewels and a car was coming and somebody tackled us and saved us, do you think we'd really be able to just walk away and be like, hey, thanks, dude. See you around. You know, no, man, we'd feel indebted to that person. We'd know the only reason I'm alive is because that person saved me. You'd think we wanted, would get to know that person, find out who he is and if there's some way we can help him or her. And I imagine that there might be some of you here today, maybe a small portion of you, who might think that you're kind of too far gone for Jesus. That you might think, man, my life is such a mess. And some of the corners of my heart are so dark. 
that Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And if that's you, I would say that God would like to argue with you on that point. Look at what he said in Isaiah 118. He said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. You see, he understands the depth of our sin. And he says, God, that's, it's not too much for me. That I came to die so that you might be forgiven. I want to wipe the slate clean in your life and give you a fresh start. Paul says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And that offer is there for us. And it would be foolish not to embrace a God, a good shepherd who offers us that, free of charge, mind you, and just be indifferent to that. And so I can just put this bluntly. If you go through life ignoring that grace, and that's on you. It's not going to be because God didn't and wasn't willing to enter into your mess and meet you there and rescue you from however deep the pit is. <laughs> it's not going to be because he wasn't there. It's going to be because you rejected it. Others of you may hear Jesus say, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and think, well, of course <laughs> he loves me. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty great person, honestly. Why wouldn't he, Right? which lends itself to this kind of indifference to the price of the sacrifice. Especially since most of us, what most of us do here is we play the comparison game. You know, inevitably we look around and we, and we find bigger sinners than us, you know, and we think, oh, we're doing pretty well. There's somebody that really needs to listen to this message on, on the website because, man, their life is a mess. Like, I got a friend who, he, he needs to hear this. Folks who have this perspective are simply ignorant of God's righteousness. We really all are at some level, right? Look what Paul wrote in Romans 10.3. He said, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, God's righteousness would say, you're all guilty, right? Paul said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no, I'm a little bit better, I need Jesus a little less than you do. All right, as I've said a lot here, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We're all in the same boat. Apart from Christ and his death for us, we are guilty and punishable by death and separation from him for eternity. That's, that's our, our status. And so we're all in equal need. Another way that we can be indifferent to this news of our good shepherd is to allow this message to simply be head knowledge. And what I mean by that is that we hear this message that Jesus is the good shepherd and he laid his life down for us, and we think, okay, I got it. I memorize it. I quote it to my friends, right? I can, I can bam, I can say it. But we never allow that truth to, to hit our hearts. We never allow the word of God to probe us and to, and to dig down deep and search us, which leads to change. And Christ would challenge us to let that message go deeper. I want you to turn in your Bibles over to Colossians chapter 3. It's page 1077. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul wrote this. He said, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let this message that God is the good shepherd who lays his life down for you dwell in you richly. That word dwell means to remain for a time. To remain for a time. We're not a culture that dwells very well. We're a social media, you know, five-second attention span culture. And if we just move on to the next distraction. And so this morning, when I read that passage earlier to you, it was talking about, you know, turning the other cheek and, and going the extra mile for people that have offended you in some way. If I'm, if I'm doing my Bible study well, which by God's grace I was able to do a little bit this morning, I sat there for a bit. And I had to, to ask myself the question, who am I not? Who's, who do I feel is insulting me that I want to get back at, <laughs> that I want some flesh for, right? And I had to let the word of God just kind of probe my heart and say, man, what are some sinful spirits and attitudes in me that I need to change? <laughs> and I had to think specifically of people not just in general terms, but who am I not loving well? And I don't know about you guys, but I have this real high censor uh, for injustice, right? When I'm screwed over in life, I'm like, man, somebody's going to pay, right? How am I going to get back at that person? Even if I don't like, phys- you know, I don't fight anybody. Look at me, right? But I've got some tactics, right? I've got some ways that I can think, man, I could get back at that person, Nick Steele, I could take you, so don't be laughing over there. He's like, yeah, Bob can't get anybody. I remember that, right? And I can tell you guys, there's some people right now. I I mean, man, God brought them to my attention pretty quickly. (laughs) Hey, that person's offended you, Bob. And and your heart and your spirit towards them has been one of just retribution. (laughs) You want to get them back, and that's that's not what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to lay your life down. As we sang in the song earlier, right, he, he gave up all his rights, Jesus. <laughs> when he was on that cross and the people that he created were beating him and spitting on him, he gave up his rights to wipe them off the face of the earth so that you and I could be saved and be forgiven. He gave up his rights, his power as the king, as the God of the universe. Let that soak in. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for you. And consider the implications of this news that you have an advocate fighting for you on all occasions, not just once upon a time on the cross 2,000 years ago, but each and every day of your life, you have an advocate that is fighting for you as the wolf, the robber, Satan, tries to come in and destroy your life. That is good news, people. (laughs) Good news. 
It's like having Hulk Hogan walk around as your bodyguard, except infinitely better and not on steroids, right? You've got an advocate who's with you, which should then lead to our best response, which is this, worship and obedience. As Paul said at the end of that verse we looked at in Colossians, singing songs to God with gratitude in our hearts. Because this is such good news for us. Do we submit ourselves to our good shepherd, gladly following him because we know that his intentions, his motives for our life are good? Or do we wander and stray and turn our own way? I'd rather be filled with gratitude that I have a good savior that loved me enough to lay his life down for me to the point where that knowledge goes beyond my head, into my heart, and then out in my actions in the way that I love and care for people around me. Willing to lay down my life for my brother so that they might know the wonderful riches of the Lord's love for them. And guys, I want to, you know, kind of wrap this up today with, with how important this imagery was to Christ. Okay, so he says, I'm the good shepherd. Most of you guys know Peter's story. You know, he was one of Jesus' disciples. On the night that Jesus was arrested, the disciples kind of scattered in chaos. They kind of were fearing for their own necks. And Peter is questioned. He's kind of standing outside the trial that's going on there, kind of trying to get an ear in on what are they saying about Jesus. And he's, he's warming his hands around the fire, and these people are saying, hey, aren't you one of the guys that was with him? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never met the guy. And, and each time he's confronted, his, his curses against the Lord kind of grow deeper and deeper and, and louder and louder until finally he's denied him three times. And, and, and in his own heart, at least, he feels like there's kind of this separation of guilt and shame because of the way that he wasn't there for Christ. But then after Jesus' resurrection and he comes back and he interacts with the disciples over a course of 40 days, there's this encounter that he has with Peter. Peter's out fishing. Jesus is on the shore making breakfast. He's a short order cook, you know. And he says, hey, I've got some stuff for you guys. Come on in and eat breakfast with me. And Peter gets out of the boat and he, and he runs towards Christ. And there's this beautiful conversation that happens where Jesus gives Peter the opportunity to reinstate his love for Christ, and he asks him on three different occasions, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do, Lord. And what does Jesus say back to him, then what? Feed my sheep. If you call yourselves followers of Christ, love the good shepherd, the way that you demonstrate that love is to feed his sheep to feed a sheep, to take what you've learned, the good news of the gospel, of the hope and, and, and the love and the forgiveness that we have in Christ, and to tell that to other people. Not only tell it to them, but model it, walk alongside them as they try to learn it and receive it and allow it to impact them. Our calling here, guys, is to feed each other, to feed this hurting world that needs to know the message of Christ. That's the application of Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd, is that we receive that and we say, man, thank you so much for laying down your life for me, but now I've got a responsibility to go out and to feed the sheep that need to know this truth. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word today. God, we thank you, um, yeah, to just that you're a great shepherd for us. Lord, that you lay your life down for us, that you uh, love us so amazingly. God, that you, you took on all of our shame and guilt and sin, brokenness, God, so that we could be redeemed, so that we can experience a fresh start, a new creation in our life. And I just, I pray for folks in here this morning that might not know that truth, or at least maybe haven't experienced it, that that, that news of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead and, and uh, taking all of our sin, that it hasn't gotten beyond their head to their heart. It hasn't changed the way they fundamentally live on a daily basis as someone who is free <laughs> as someone who has something to offer others, as someone who God wants to use to build and grow and expand the kingdom of God and play a role in in, in this this story that continues on uh, of grace and redemption in this world. I pray for them to know that truth at a heart level today. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would take Jesus' command to, to feed my sheep seriously. That it wouldn't just be good news for us, it would be good news for everyone that we know, that we would long for them to know the truth, especially our enemies, <laughs> especially those people that we think don't deserve it, because God, we didn't deserve it, but you gave it to us anyways. And so God, help us to be open-ended with our ability to love and just spread the grace and the truth of Christ to everyone who would hear and respond. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we close today?